Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Leanne Huang, a third-year resident at Montefiore Medical Center. Leanne is from Amarillo, Texas, went to college at Rice University, and completed medical school at UT Southwestern. She's interested in hand surgery. Leanne, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So I'd love to get started by hearing about the overall structure of your program. Our program at Montefiore is kind of in that transition zone where this upcoming cycle is the first time we'll be a fully integrated program. It is six years. Before, we had an independent combined program, and so that would be three years of general surgery and then three years of plastic surgery. But now we're all doing six years of integrated. So it's a really exciting time for us, and I'm happy to definitely discuss more about what our clinical experience is like, but our program is constantly changing, and I am pretty confident that we are changing for the better. What kind of changes have you been seeing during your time that, you know, attest to that? I think the biggest thing is our curriculum is always in flux. And the best thing I think is we give a lot of feedback to our program director, Dr. Benacquista, and to a lot of our attendings. And we have these meetings twice a year where we talk about, you know, what we experience with these different rotations and if it's worthwhile for us in our training and our end goal of becoming the plastic surgeons that we want to be. And it's a time for us to be able to be very frank and to tell them, you know, this might not be worth it for us. And so, for example, the amount of general surgery has decreased a lot. Not saying that it's, you know, not important. It's certainly important, but it has been replaced more with dedicated ambulatory operative time for interns, which is something that I didn't get when I was an intern. But now our current interns will get two dedicated months of just operating on our service and they'll be operating at our ambulatory surgical center. So they get to do a lot of body contouring and a lot of procedures that are core to the foundation of being a plastic surgeon. And, you know, I think it's just really great because it takes a lot of you know emphasis on getting bogged down in the floor work and a lot of things that we tend to associate intern year with. But I think our curriculum is definitely always changing for the better. Are there other additional months that are plastics focused in intern year as well? Yeah. So we usually do about half a year, I would say roughly. So about six months total year intern year. And then our current second years, they did more even than I did. They they do about seven months of plastic surgery. And then third year, uh, this past year, I pretty much did six months on service as well. And even though the other six months, it might not be quote unquote plastic surgery, you know, it was hand with ortho or things that are relevant to our training. And then starting next year and further on, it's just going to be plastic surgery or, you know, OMFS or a hand or something like that. But again, I think we always talk about this within our residents. We think that we've pretty much almost skeletonized the core of our curriculum so that it really is meeting the milestones that we have to, to graduate from uh, our program and to meet the requirements set by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. And yet we get to capitalize on all the diversity of the cases um, that we're exposed to in the Bronx. And so what are the different sites that you rotate through? We are kind of unique in the fact that because we're in New York City, it is a huge urban experience, but we have campuses that are 
on different parts of the city. And so our main campus is called Moses, and that's where we do all of our complex head and neck reconstruction, where our biggest inpatient service is, and that's just where we do a lot of our bread and butter inpatient training. And right adjacent to that is our pediatric hospital. And then on the east side of the city, we have another campus called Weiler, and it's right next to the medical school, the Einstein Medical School. And that's where we do our breast reconstruction. And usually we have on average two flops a week and we do a lot of tissue expanders, but it's really a dedicated um, experience in breast surgery. And then about five minutes away from there is our Hutchinson Ambulatory Center. And that's what I was referring to for interns from Monday through Friday. That's where our clinics are, but it's also a dedicated ambulatory surgical center. So that's where we do a lot of our body contouring and a lot of our outpatient procedures. You said there are no independent residents, correct? Correct. Do you have any fellows you work with? We don't, actually. I think that's one of the unique aspects. And from our perspective, it's one of our strengths as a residency program. We don't have fellows. It's just the residents. So it's us and the attendings. And so we, we try to get exposure as much as we can and as early as we can. So for us, that's really great. And I think it provides opportunities to be autonomous which is very important as part of any training, but certainly as a surgeon. So that's something that we think is advantageous. What are the research expectations like? We are expected to do quite a bit, but you know, it depends on each personal goals, but set by the division, we're expected to publish every other year. We have a monthly research meetings. The Department of Surgery at Montefiore does a resident research day that we're all required to submit an abstract to. So there are set kind of expectations um, yearly so that we stay productive in research and take the opportunities that we can being at an academic center and being associated with the medical school that does publish a lot. It is stressful. I, I'm not going <laughs> to lie about that, you know, trying to manage being a resident in the clinical situations, but also trying to get some research done. But certainly for people that want to be an academic surgeon like myself, it's something that you can capitalize on. And what kind of support is there when you're ready to present your research? As most people know, there are different levels. So obviously, there's always the national or even international, but like ASPS and the big meetings, the hand meetings, the microsurgery, all the, all the big meetings in the country. If a resident is chosen to present at those, the division will support you financially to attend those and they cover the cost of that. So that gives us even more incentive to be productive in research. And we also are pretty involved in the New York Regional Meeting. And so That gives us a chance to, of course, connect with our programs that are nearby. And the Northeastern is more of the regional meeting. But there are different tiers of these meetings that we're all tried to submit to. And I think they're important for the resident experience as well. Is there any one area or a few areas of plastic surgery that residents tend to come out with the strongest experience in? I think classically, they would say probably microsurgery. Our faculty are pretty heavy in microsurgery, not saying that we don't get the experience in others to graduate, but just again, like for example, we do a pretty high caseload of just head and neck reconstruction led by our chief, Dr. Garfine. And when I was in medical school, I, I remember 
a lot of ENT surgeons covering the reconstruction in addition to the resections. And I think that's kind of what we're talking about in plastic surgery in general, that we kind of have to fight to maintain certain parts of our field that are kind of being chiseled away by other fields. But our program, we do all the head and neck reconstruction. So we do all the microsurgery for those. But our graduates from our program go into every different type of specialty. And a lot of them don't go in a fellowship and they go straight into practice. But I would say probably the heaviest is our microsurgery experience. How would you improve your program even further? I would say we are very, very busy and we would need more manpower. That's probably the first thing that comes to mind. I'm sure my colleagues and most programs would say that, you know, they're also busy and plastic surgery residents are known to be hardworking. And, you know, this is something that is not unique to our program, but it would definitely help. So currently we have two residents per year, but we are in that transition. So we got an extra resident for our current second year class. So they have three a year. It's in flux. It's hard to, you know, make a permanent change, but we push for it because we have the case volume to support having the financial support for a third resident. So I think that is the hope is that's where we're turning and, you know, getting more ancillary staff, PAs, MPs, everyone to help us. So we're trying to get there, but it is certainly a busy program at ours. Are there opportunities for elective experiences? Yeah, so that's actually something that I'm in the process of doing. But as you can imagine, it's kind of hard during coronavirus. For example, my fourth year, we have like two plastic surgery hamlets. And I'm hoping maybe if the times will allow it and it's safe to do so from the perspective of the ECGME and, you know, both institutions that I could do in a way rotation for my interest in hand. Are there built-in times during the later years to do that? Or would that be more of something that your program's receptive to but isn't built in? It's definitely on a case-by-case basis, and it depends on how interested the resident is, to be honest. Because, you know, when you are a fifth and sixth year, you do have the uh, elective blocks, which I think typically people do um, cosmetic. And so they would typically stay in the city or Long Island because we are fortunate to be physically located in an area where we could get a very robust cosmetic experience and you don't have to travel a lot to do that. But for me, you know, I may even coming from a different perspective, but I think there's a value in seeing how other institutions run and seeing the different case diversity and volume at other places. It is a possibility in the fact that I am currently trying to do it. So I hope. Fingers crossed I can do it, but we'll see. I hope so too. Is there any cosmetic experience earlier as well? As a junior, not as much. Um, We do have the resident cosmetic experience that uh, senior residents go to. And so I wouldn't say cosmetic is necessarily something that the juniors are expected to get exposure to. Usually our first three years, we're more focused on becoming a good doctor, you know, making that transition from medical student to a physician and learning how to manage a patient from, you know, all the way from pre-op to post-op. And so I wouldn't say that the expectation is to get exposure to cosmetic. Are there any opportunities for global rotations or mission trips? I don't think a lot of people have actually done that. I think if someone wanted to, it's possible to bring it up. But I I can't recall anything recently that people have any set trips doing this. I know a couple of our attendings do their own trips, and they certainly do different um, international trips with international groups. But I wouldn't say that the residents have a set 
program or something that they have established here. And is there any exposure to gender affirming surgery? That is one of our strongest exposures in our program. We have a very large transgender population and New York State uh, Health First Insurance will cover a lot of these procedures. And so in terms of a clinical exposure experience, we get a high volume of both top and bottom surgery to put in like layman's terms. And one of our attendings, Dr. Draper, is pretty productive. And so we do a lot of that, both inpatient and outpatient procedures. I'm not sure if I would get that exposure in other states, but it's certainly, again, like, you know, being able to do a breast augmentation for a transgender patient gives you certainly additional educational value as it would for a non-transgender patient. Is moonlighting possible? Not in our program. Are there any other particularly awesome perks you'd like to share? I think New York City is pretty awesome. I I can't sugarcoat the fact that the, you know, the times are crazy right now, but it is a really great city to live in. It's a great city to be in when you're in your 20s and your 30s. And I think that's one of the best things about our program is we typically have a good work-life balance. I personally think that's very important in residency because all of us generally go into it. We're going to be hardworking. We're going to dedicate ourselves to the, you know, providing the best patient care that you can. But it's so important to make sure that you take care of yourself in whatever capacity that means. But New York City provides any opportunity that you want. So I think it's a pretty special thing that we have. Montefer provides an educational fund yearly to all the residents. And that's generally what we use for, you know, step three or, yeah, the loops or different textbooks, all these things. So that they do provide um, some funding every year for that. Now, I'd love to hear a bit about the leadership of your program. So, you know, the chair, the PD, et cetera. So our division is led by Dr. Garfine. He is one of the most uh, productive microsurgeons for sure in our program. And then our program director is Dr. Benequista, who is also, uh, she specializes in microsurgery, more so in breast, so in that other campus. And we have a total of, I think, nine full faculty, but also our program has so many, what we call voluntary faculty, which means they have a private practice or something outside of the academic realm, but they also maintain privileges at Montefiore. So from our perspective, we have a lot of attendings that we interact with. And it's really great because they provide a lot of breadth in terms of advice, um, certainly of what we can do post-graduation. How would you describe kind of the relationships amongst the residents? I think we are definitely a pretty close group of friends. I think a lot of us hang out outside. It's a little hard because New York City is pretty big. And so some people live in the resident housing. Some people live in different parts of Manhattan. So it, it is hard because there's sometimes a physical distance. A lot of us are pretty close. And I would say some of them are my closest friends. And I'll, you know that's something that I'm going to carry with me for the rest of my life. I can probably answer this question since it's New York, but do most <laughs> residents own or rent? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we all pretty much rent. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we all live in, you know, apartments, whether that's in the resident subsidized housing or not. I don't think there's anyone who owns a house. 
unless they haven't told me, but that's generally what what we have. What's kind of the breakdown amongst residents in terms of single, married, children, et cetera? Well, no one has kids, so I know that for sure. I'd say most of us are non-married and most of us are kind of in that, I would say more in the younger in terms of age group, there are certainly people who took a non-traditional route to get to where we are. We have a couple of MD PhDs or people who took research years, but uh, I would say that most of us are again in that late twenties, early thirties age group. Is it necessary to have a car? I would actually say, yeah. So we're a little different from um, the other New York programs in that perspective. And the reason being is we do take call for multiple campuses. Having said that, one of our residents does not have one and she Ubers. So it is also possible since it is New York. So she can take the train whenever she doesn't have to be there urgently or anything like that. So we have the subway, we have, you know, Uber and everything like that. But most of us have cars. And I I personally, you know, drove actually from Texas to New York with my car. But it's kind of that expectation that you do have one. And you spoke a little bit about people living in kind of different parts of New York. Where do most residents choose to live? I would say by numbers, most residents definitely live in the city, but particularly in the Upper East Side. I live in the resident housing in Riverdale. And so there are actually two resident housings, but it's a little different for me. So I'm the quintessential New York transplant. I didn't really know a lot of people here when I moved, but Montefiore provides housing to people through an application system. And so I applied and that's how we got connected. And I actually really love my apartment, so I haven't moved. (laughs) But most people do live in Manhattan. And I think it's slowly becoming that trend where, you know, certainly after you're off of primary call, your first four years, you know, the expectation is certainly that you don't have to be near the hospital 24 seven, not saying that that was the expectation to, you know, begin with, but certainly when you get older, you can uh, make that transition. You already touched a little bit on the things you like about living in New York. Is there anything else you wanted to share about that aspect of it? Yeah, I think it's just like really insane how our Friday or Saturday nights, you know, we could go to a Broadway show where we did before COVID, but you know, mm-hmm. we could go to a Broadway show or we can go to these restaurants that, you know, if I were still at home, I would, you know, dedicate like my vacation to flying to New York to see, but this is something that we can do whenever we have a night off. So I think whenever the residents do get a time to hang out with, you know, significant others, friends, families, whatever, or each other, we kind of have that unique opportunity that we can, our backyard is the greatest city in the world. And it's really nice. Like for me, I was really uh, into tennis. And so it's always been a dream to go to the U.S. Open. And I just never made it to Flushing. And now that I've been here, I went to the U.S. Open last year. It was one of the greatest things. And it was really nice that I could just do on a random weekend that I wasn't on call. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) And it wasn't too rough of a transition from, you know, Texas all the way up to the Northeast? I don't think so. I I think it was fine. A little bit of the way I approach things is you make the best out of every situation that you're put in. And so you look at the bright things and the positives. And for me, I wanted to have that experience of leaving because I I spent my entire life being in the same state and I went to college and I went to medical school in the same state. My parents were, you know, easily accessible. 
you know, getting that experience that other people got when they were in college or medical school. And I think it is good for personal growth. And I'm just getting it a little bit later than most people. Nothing wrong with that. That is about everything I wanted to discuss today. Um, Any final thoughts on either your program or on the process of selecting a residency in general? Before I forget, I was asked to definitely let people know that we have an Instagram page that they can follow. There's more information on there. It's Monty PRS if they're interested. Um, If they want to contact us, we're always available. My personal email is always available. It's lhwang at montefree.org if anyone has any questions. Um, But yeah, what I usually say for medical students who are interested in plastic surgery, I was given this advice when I was a second year medical student and I wasn't sure about what I wanted to pursue and it was to not settle. And it was not to settle in anything professionally um, because you've dedicated so much and you sacrificed so much of your life to becoming a doctor, but now you're interested in becoming a surgeon and you might be interested in becoming an academic surgeon. So it's the idea that you might be in training for you know, uh, an extra seven years. And that obviously can put strain on your close friends or you know, anyone that's important to you in your life. But I think you should make the decision based on your, you know, your gut. I think it's very terrifying going through this process and that's a normal reaction. I think it's normal for people to feel even more anxious because now, you know, with the restrictions on traveling and you can't interview or do away rotations. I definitely understand why people might be nervous. Um, But I will say that at the end of the day, you will be trained in the way that you would want to if you you approach it with the right attitude and the right work ethic. I think those are very important factors. And that's just, maybe that's again, part of my own personal belief, but if you put in 100%, you will get something that's rewarding at the end. But I don't think that you should be, this is not the time for you to settle. You've already done so much to get here. So that's my advice. Well, I think that is about it. So thank you so much for speaking with me today. I'm sure everyone will really appreciate everything you've shared. No problem. I'm very happy. Again, please just reach out if you have any questions about our program. Happy to answer them. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.